Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. This morning we are looking at uh, this idea of worship, man. So it's where we've been for the last few weeks. It's where we're going to be today. It's where we're going to be next week. And, and then, I don't know if you realize this, but next week uh, we're pretty much at the end, right? We're pretty much at the, at the close of the semester. Uh, we'll be combining with our main service on May 6th uh, with our family service. And uh, next week we're having our, our kind of college, our baptism Sunday. Uh, and I'll tell you, like, that's, that's it. And, and so what's I think really exciting about this time and this, this kind of this home stretch, these sort of last few moments, last few weeks, last few tests and projects, and hopefully last few stressful nights and pulling your hair out and having to work with Jim in that group or whatever. You know, like hopefully now at the end of the semester, we're, we're getting this idea of, I mean, what, what does it look like for us to, to live lives that are focused on the Lord, that are, that are focused on ultimately worship? How do we celebrate who he is and what he's done? How, how, how do we create this visible value for that, that we place on him? How do we declare his worth, right? Ultimately, that's what worship is. As we've looked at the last few weeks, we see that, that worship is simply declaring the worth of, of God and, and what he's accomplished on our behalf. I mean, it's, it's living lives that, that are, are moving in the central direction that, that other people see, other people notice, and, and it points them not to ourselves or not to our ability or our, our, our resources, but it, it's something that points other people to God himself, right? And so we live in this state of worship as his people were called to live in the state of worship until the day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the day that we look for. That's the, that's the day that we hope in. That's the moment that, that, that we're looking to, that we're placing our hope and our, our, our trust. I mean, that's, that's where we're headed. But in the meantime, while we wait, what is this worship look like. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen how, how many times this worship, it involves investment. It involves this idea of taking our here and now and, and putting it forward for something greater in, in the future, right? Sacrificing or, or, or thinking ahead so that one day we get to see this payoff. And what we saw last week was that the ultimate, the greatest investment we can make, one of these kind of treasures, one of these crowns, one of these hopes of glory that we have for our future is, is held within the lives of the people around us. That's what Paul told the church in Thessalonica. That's what God told his people through the apostle Paul. He says, man, you need to see that there is glory to be found in investing in the lives of the people around you, that they are your crown." They are your treasure. And so as we look at our lives, at our abilities, our moment, our our resources, our context, what we need to recognize is that while we wait for this ultimate day, God has given us incredible resources, both material and spiritual, that we can use to invest in the people around us, an investment that sometimes uh, can look a lot uh, like this. Hi, I'm a for a bush of kale. Wait, the juice! The bar juice! Deal with it. Okay, 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 okay. Grapples. This one for me. Uh oh. I 
<laughs> I will build it. Uh oh, I built. I mean, it can be hard, right? It can be difficult to invest in people around us. We want to make that special dinner for that special girl, and juice is just slippery, right? Like, it just happens. And the reality is that a lot of times maybe we look at our lives, we look at kind of where we're at and what we've been given, and, and we struggle to invest in the lives of people around us because maybe, first of all, we don't know what we actually have to give. We feel like we don't actually have this abundance to give from. And even on top of that, many times we've, we're unsure of how we're supposed to give. Like, how do I help these people? How do I invest in these people's lives around me? And what we're going to look at this morning is this fact that this truth, this reality that that when God looks at us at his children, the people that he saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he looks at us, he says, man, you have been given riches. You have been equipped with these incredible resources. You've been blessed materially and spiritually. And so he says, I want you to follow the example of my son, Jesus Christ, by investing freely fully, joyfully in the lives of people around you for the sake of God's glory. See, when Jesus is making this point, when he's talking to his followers, his people, uh, about investing their lives for the sake of the gospel, he, he tells them a story, right? He illustrates it with a, a parable. In other words, a fictional story that kind of makes his point. So he's talking about investing. He's talking about the resources we've been given. And he says in Matthew 25 that it's like there's this man who's going on a journey, who summoned his servants, and he entrusted his property to, him, to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. So Jesus sets this up. He says, hey, imagine that you've got this wealthy landowner because he's given kind of big chunks of change to these people, right? It's, it's equivalent to 13 to 16 years of wages is one talent, all right? And so he's giving these, these mass sums of resources to these different servants. And, and what's important to note is that God, or sorry, that the master gives every, every single servant something, right? He gives some, gives to some more than others, but everyone has something that's worth investing. My name is Jeannie Zanke. I turn dog hair into beautiful, wonderful things. I know what they're thinking. Man, white people just do the craziest things. One day, I was brushing one of my dogs, and I thought, Eureka! And I picked up my drop spindle, and it just kept going. And it was the easiest thing in the world. I sell items from my Etsy shop from $800 for a large dog hair sweater. It's like being wrapped up in love. Or $120 for a dog scarf. There are a lot of dog lovers who do get worried. It's going to endanger dogs, but you can't farm this. The only good fiber you get from a dog is a dog that is extremely well taken care of. When people send me hair from dogs that have passed, I turn it into what they want. It gives them something to hang on to. And it's not morbid. It's comforting. I am descended from knitters and dog lovers. And I'm living my dream. We all have something, right? 
We all have something. We all have dreams. Some of us should live in those dreams. Some of us should not. Uh, especially if your dream, you have to clarify that it's not morbid. Uh, but man, the reality is that we all have some sort of resource. resource. Jeannie, Jeannie, she looked at her life. She said, man, I, I have, I guess, just an apartment full of dog hair. What am I going to do with it to invest in the lives of people around me? Right? What, how am I going to use these resources, invest these resources in the future in something bigger and greater? Jesus looks at his followers and says, everyone has something. You've been given something of worth. God has equipped you somehow in a way that is worth it's a resource worth using and investing for his glory, for his purpose. But again, some have more than others. And so when God speaks through the Apostle Paul to, to, to one of his uh, disciples, a guy named Timothy, he, he's making a point. He's going to make a point that, hey, just because some have more than others doesn't somehow make that person worth more in God's eyes. He says, there are going to be some of those that are, some people that are rich in the world. And so he says, you're going to want to command them who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches, which are uncertain, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Shortly before this, Paul explains, hey, you didn't bring anything into this world in and of yourself, and you're not taking anything out. He says, everything you have is a gift from the Lord. And so in other words, he's, he's detaching this, this sometimes subconscious sentiment that, that, that blessing, that resources, material resources, material gain is somehow connected to godliness. He says, no, it's, it's not true. It's simply not true. It's not sinful to have more and it's not holier to have less or vice versa. Just because you have more doesn't mean that God somehow loves you more. Just because you have less doesn't mean that God is neglecting you. God provides what you need for his purpose, for his glory, for his kingdom. And so God looks at, at the people that have more and he says, realize that there is a, there's a weight that comes with your wealth. There's a responsibility that comes with your riches. He says, you need to recognize that, that you have these things that, and it's for a purpose. Now, in the midst of that purpose, you should absolutely feel freedom to enjoy these gifts, right? God uses this imagery of being our heavenly father for a lot of reasons. One of which is when he gives you something, it's meant as a gift, it's meant to be enjoyed, right? That's what a loving parent does for their children. They give them gifts to be enjoyed. You do this for your friends or your family. When you give someone a gift, you want them to enjoy it, right? You you want them to, to appreciate it for what it is and you want it to improve their lives. You want them to find satisfaction from the gift to some extent extent, right? When my wife gave me uh, an oversized towel, I have found so much enjoyment and love in that. They make towels that are not just like normal towel size. I'm a, I'm a big boy. And so Susan gave me, my wife gave me, they're called like bath sheets or something like that. But it's just, imagine I just cover the room in a towel. That's what I have. That's what I use. And man, oh man, I enjoy it to the fullest extent I possibly, probably over the extent of how I should. But I'm 30, and that's just what you love in life. Towels, that's just how, that's, that's where I am, all right? But I enjoy this gift, and, and that's good, right? It's, it's good to enjoy the gifts that come from someone that, that loves you. But many times our enjoyment of these gifts, it, it's, it, it's, it's hindered. It's a struggle to really enjoy these gifts because many times we get caught up in this vicious cycle of comparison, 
Right? It's hard to enjoy when we're living in constant comparison. If you were going to break away earlier this semester, man, T.A. spoke to this so wonderfully, talking about this, this horrific cycle of comparison where we never feel like we're good enough, where we never feel like we have enough. And it's this horrible, vicious cycle where it's, it drains the enjoyment out of our lives. It drains the contentment out of our lives. And the reality is that even if you have more and more material resource, that, that, that struggle of comparison, it never goes away. There was an investment bank a few years ago that, that looked at their investors over a variety of fields, and they were kind of getting a sense, they wanted to get a sense of who feels rich. I don't know why they took it upon themselves, but they're like, we, we want to kind of unpack this idea of richness, of wealth in America. And so they asked all these investors, they broke them up into categories, and they had this one chunk, they all had between one and five million dollars of liquid assets, all right? So just like money in the bank, ready to invest between one and $5 million. It's not even close to their net worth. That's just what they had that they could move around, that they could play with. Between one and $5 million. And what they found out of that group of people is that 28% of them felt rich. When asked, in other words, 72% of those people with what we would see as an abundance of material resource 72% of them didn't feel rich. Why? Because so often we define the the richness or people who are rich, they're generally people that just have a little more than us or twice as much as we do. Those are the rich people. It's it's not necessarily ourselves. And and yet if we look at our lives, we, we see, man, there's incredible wealth. We've been blessed materially just at an unbelievable level. If you work a minimum wage job, federal minimum wage is seven twenty-five right now. You work a minimum wage job, 40, 40 hours a week, uh, 50, 51 weeks a year, so taking a week off, 51 weeks a year, 40 hours a week, you make roughly $15,000 in that year. And having an annual wage of about $15,000 puts you in the top 8% of worldwide earners, okay? Purchasing power. You're in the top 8% of purchasing power in America. Now, I, I know you guys, vast majority of you, you are going to Texas A&M. You're going to Blinn College. You're, you're going to be graduating with a degree, most of you from Texas A&M. And, and I just looked up the, the current uh, st- average starting salary for someone leaving Texas A&M University is uh, currently $54,000 annual salary. Okay, that's the average start. By the time you're midway through your career, the average earning is about almost double that. It's about $99,000 annually. Okay, so, so if you graduate from Texas A&M, you're making the average starting salary, which is about $54,000. You are actually in the top 0.25% of worldwide earners. Think about that. We have incredible material wealth and blessing in our midst. We have incredible just resource. We've been resourced so incredibly much, so well. And we don't look at these things. We don't say, I don't say these things because then you're like, well, yeah, you're right. Way to go, blood, sweat, and tears for that stinking engineering test or whatever. This is something to look at, something to take note of. It's something to recognize that, man, that, that, that wealth carries a weight. And those riches carry a responsibility. And that God doesn't ultimately call us to wealth and he doesn't call us to poverty, but he calls us to contentment. And and he calls us to this place of of seeing that ultimately my worth and my value isn't that number in my bank account. 
My worth and value is, is found in the fact that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the life that I could never live, regardless of my wealth. He died the death that I deserve, regardless of the good works I think I can accrue for myself. I still deserve death, and yet Jesus Christ died in my place. And he said, anyone who trusts in me, anyone who looks and, and believes in who I am and what I've done, says you can be united with me, not only in this death, but he says you can be united with me in my resurrection. When Jesus Christ rose three days later, he says, this is why you can trust me. This is why you can believe in me. You can die to yourself. You can die to the foolish pursuits of this world. And you can be raised again to new life that's everlasting with a father who loves you, with a family that that will surround you for all of eternity. You see, this is the blessing that that Paul goes on to describe, that God God speaks about in the book of Ephesians. In this letter to this church in Ephesus, he says, Paul's saying, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. He says, in Christ, you've been recipients of this incredible spiritual blessing. Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, he, he, he earned the right to inherit life eternal. He, he earned the right to have a relationship with God the Father. He earned the right to live in eternal glory with God the Father. But because he died, because he stood in our place, he says, you can now join me in that inheritance. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the Lord Most High. And that's a blessing that we should never take, it, take for granted. It's a blessing that, that we get to enjoy to such an incredible extent right here, right now in our culture, in our nation, in this season of our lives. Man, we have such incredible opportunity to enjoy this blessing. And that's something we shouldn't lose sight of. It's something that's, that's pointed out so well, but by a guy named Nick Ripkin, he was a missionary overseas in China for about 30 years. And recently he spoke on this fact. He spoke on this truth. This reality that we here in America, we have this incredible blessing of being able to approach the Lord publicly, just openly, to speak about our faith, man, to to, to approach the altar of God in a way that other people overseas simply cannot do. And they asked me about you. Since Jesus has made it to America, how do you do this thing called church? And I, I, I told them about the pulpits, and I told them about the praise team, and I told them about the gathering like this, and, and I, I, I told them uh, about our, our buildings, and, and, and I'm there, and, and here are men and women with scars on their body from suffering for Jesus, and they've been tortured, they've been in prison, they've been beaten, they've been starved, and here are some of the toughest men and women I've ever met, and all of a sudden, they're just crying like babies. They, they, they said, we, we, we don't understand, Nick. Why does God love his children in America more than he loves his children in China? I was dumbfounder. I said, what are you talking about? They said, you don't see? I said, I don't have a clue. They were so hurt. They said, which is the greatest miracle, Nick? You, you, you've watched us. God maybe heals a hundred thousand Chinese and a hundred of them figure out that their healing came from a God and maybe three or four figure out that his name is Jesus and because of that healing, they enter into the kingdom of God. You've watched us and I did. 
I watched them one morning, not knowing what they were doing. Out of 170 leaders, they had seven Bibles. You've watched us. You've watched us tear our Bibles and shred so that everybody can have at least one book whole, complete of the Bible, and you tell us where you live in Ethiopia, you have seven different versions of the Bible on your desk just for yourself. What is the greatest miracle, son? You, you, you're telling us that if the church wants to, it can meet 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and nobody gets beaten. Nobody gets tortured. Nobody has to go to prison. They don't lose their kids. They don't lose their health. They don't lose their freedom. They don't lose their lives. Which is the greatest miracle, son? I stood in this farming compound, surrounded by 170 of your brothers and sisters, and I cried like a baby because I've called common but it's a miracle from the throne of God. We should just never lose sight. We should never lose sight. of The fact that we have this incredible, rich, richness where we live, where we are, materially and spiritually. We've been given this abundance of resources, this abundance of opportunity. And that wealth carries weight. Those riches bring responsibility. God's looking at us and he's saying, I I want you to invest what you've been given. I want you to to take what you've been given and to give it freely, to invest it in the lives of people around you. And yet something holds us back. In the the parable that Jesus told, in fact, he he illustrates this immediately. These these servants, they, they are given these resources. They've been given this blessing. They've been given these gifts. And, and he shows me, and sometimes you go forward and sometimes you don't. He says, as soon as they were given these gifts, the one who had received five talents, he went off right away. He put his money to work and he gained five more. And in the same way, the, the one who had two, he gained two more. So in other words, these guys, they say, hey, I'm going to invest these resources. I'm going to use these gifts and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to work. I'm going to invest it, right? I'm going to get a return on this investment. And yet there was the one who had received one talent, he went out and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money in it. Now, it's been a while since I took a finance class at Texas A&M University. But digging a hole in the ground and hiding money in it is generally not super profitable. Maybe, I don't know. If it's like, Maybe if as, you, as you're digging, you find like a treasure chest. Like, I, but like digging a hole in the ground, hiding money, that's not a way to multiply. That's not a way to get a return. That's, that's not an investment, right? That, that's, that's, that's fearful withholding. Instead of being a river, that's being a reservoir. That, that, that's taking the thing that you've been given and you're just kind of hiding it away. You're squirreling it away. When we looked at it last week, at a different parable last week, we saw in the same way there was a guy who had a lot of resources. He says, I got to build a bigger barn. I got to build a bigger barn just to hold and hoard the things that I have. Why do we do that? Why is this sometimes our inclination to dig a hole in the ground? Some of us maybe growing up, it was, we had that piggy bank or we had that like under our mattress or we had a little segment in our wall that we broke open and I, I, that'd be intense. Hopefully you didn't do that. But why do we have this inclination? And I'll tell you, it, it's fear. It's fear. It's uncertainty and it's doubt. 
about where your head is, the fear about the future, because ultimately the future, it can be a scary, scary thing. I can't kill me. I can't kill me. It makes no sense. Anybody can kill you. You can slip and fall on the banana peel. You can get in a car wreck. You can fall off a bridge. You can have an aneurysm on a toilet. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Words to live by. But that's, that's fear, right? This is, this is literally from a show, <laughs> Beyond Scared Straight, uh, because there, it's, it's this idea of like, man, there's this fear that can drive us. There's this fear of, I guess, aneurysms on toilets. That keeps that guy up at night. <laughs> he pulled his hair out thinking about all this, the potential of an aneurysm on his toilet. That can be terrifying. And we look at our lives, we look at our resources, and we're afraid. We, we, we look at the things we've been given, and we think, I, I can't do anything with this. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to invest it because I'm afraid of what might come. What if I don't have enough when the time comes? What if I invest it wrongly? What if, it, what if I don't get a return on that investment? And, and suddenly we find ourselves trapped and crippled by this fear and anxiety. And, and, and God looks at us and he says, man, there's, there's a better way. There's a better investment. There's a better path. You don't have to be held back by that fear. There's a better mindset. There's a better heart attitude. And, and it's what Paul speaks to in Timothy, what we read at the very beginning. The, this idea that, that those who are rich should be not haughty or, or setting their hope in those riches, right? Which are uncertain, right? He's affirming. He says, you don't know the future, right? It is that giant Plinko board. He says, you don't know what's going to happen. But instead, you put your hope in God who, who provided it in the first place, right? Who wants you to enjoy, it, to enjoy it, but also who wants you to do something with it. He says, do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. He says, it's, this is the way that you will save up a treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the future. This is how you lay hold of what is truly life. He says, you don't have to be bound by fear and anxiety and doubt. You don't have to dig that hole in the ground. Why? Because you can trust that you know where life is truly found. You can know without, without any doubt, without any fear, that we're headed for that day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says you can invest in these eternal treasures. Something that, again, he illustrated in 1 Thessalonians. He says part of that treasure, it's people. Just so invest in those people. Look for those opportunities. Allow those resources, those things that God has given you. You didn't bring it into the world. You're not taking it out. So when God gives you these things, freely give it to others. It says, keep an open hand. And in doing so, what's going to happen is you're going to keep yourself centered on where life is truly found. You're going to show other people where life is truly found. When they question the way you spend your time or your energy or your resources, you get to tell them, I- I'm sacrificing in these ways because I know that life is actually truly found in knowing Jesus Christ and in making him known. We have opportunity to do that with every gift we've been given, material and spiritual. But again, some of us, we, we, we struggle with that. We say, man, I, I don't know, like how, I'm not sure what those resources might be. And, and I'll tell you that there are a lot of us, we're, we're coming in from different places. We're, we're all headed in different directions. But, but for the most part, I mean, a lot of us, we, we have some sort of financial resource. It's part of it. 
And so when we look at our church as a whole, we said, man, we want to take our finances, we want to take this, this resource, and we want to invest it in people by planting churches, three of them, in the next two years. That's what, that's what everybody needs about. We're, we're planting three churches the next two years. We're, we're planting one here in Bryan College Station. We're planting one in another college town here in the States. And we're planting one in a college town overseas. Why? Because we want to reach people. We want to serve people. And so if this is your church home, if this is where you belong, if this is where you put down roots, we would love for you to join us in that investment, investing in those people, investing in that ministry and, and, and proclaiming the gospel in those places. And we've been teaching this from every stage on every level because we know that, man, the, the idea, this, this investment mentality, it's, it's a muscle you have to develop over time. When, when I was growing up, my, my parents were, were wonderful, godly, God-fearing, faithful people. And, and one of the things that they drilled into all their kids was, hey, if you're not giving something out of, out of what you have now, if you're not giving something of that $100, if you're not giving something out of that three hours of free time, if you're not giving something out of what you have right now, you're probably not going to give anything out of whatever increases you might receive in the future. If you're not giving something out of that $100, you're probably not going to give anything out of that $40,000 you might make. If you're not giving some of your time out of those you know, four hours a day you have free time because you're in elementary school or junior high and high school, you literally just have all this time. You don't realize it, but you do. So, man, if you don't give that time away, if you're not giving some of it, I mean, the odds of you ever giving any of it later, it's, it's, it's very minimal. Why? Because it's a habit. It's a discipline. And so we know on, on every level, on every stage, we, we want to start building this habit of, of seeing these gifts as things not to be hoarded, not to be retained, but, but to be given. So maybe it's financial. Maybe, maybe it's the home you live in. Again, the vast majority of us, we're living in, in places in an apartment or a home or a dorm room in these places where we're paying rent anyway, right? Like we, we live there, we have this place, there's like water in a sink and maybe for some of us that, you know, that are guys, you're like, I don't actually, I don't know, do we have a sink? It's just dishes, you know, it's a graveyard or whatever. But, but, but you, you look at this place and you think, man, how do I, you can use that resource for God's glory, when my wife and I bought a house about four years ago, I remember looking at it and thinking like, oh, this is gonna be great. Like this is my, my calm in the storm, right? I'm, I'm very introverted. And, and so I, I recharge a lot of my energy just by kind of like being alone. And so I, I saw my house as that opportunity. I said, man, this is gonna be my, my refuge, right? In, the, in these crashing waves, I have this rock that I'll stand upon over there and off university. And I'm just gonna live in this little home. It's gonna be great. And, and my wife, she looked at that, and when we were talking about it, she was like, that is, the, that is wrong. Like, she was like, that is a bad attitude. She's like, that's, that's misguided. She says, man, we have to use this resource for God's glory. And so thankfully, man, God has used her to, to stretch me and to, and, to, and to push me in being more hospitable and being a gracious host. To, to the point where this past Easter, man, we, we, if you work at a church, uh, you work on Easter as part of it. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, but we... When I was working on Easter, man, I was getting out of that, that morning. And I'm like, man, I'm, 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 t- I'm tired, right? We're, I'm expending a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy, a lot of relational energy. And I was excited to rest. But then I remembered, oh, wait, no, my wife 
she thankfully challenged us to use our home on Easter to, to, to open it up to people that, that didn't have a place to go over the Easter break. Or maybe it was the place that they would go was really far away. Or, or maybe the people back home don't share the faith that they have. Or, or maybe these people, they don't have faith themselves. And, and we can be this just kind of gracious place to, 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 to come in and to have spiritual conversation with, with just make a friend. And so we had about 40-something people show up at our house for Easter, for this lunch. And so I came out of church and I went home and I, and I, and I, was, I was on, man. I was, I was in ministry mode. I was meeting people. There were people that came. I never even, I never got introduced myself. Was anyone, is there anyone here that was at my house at Easter? Okay, see, yeah, I don't, uh-uh. Great. <laughs> like, I don't know. There were people that came to my house that I'm like, I don't even, I never met them. Never even had a conversation. Whoa, great, great. Because we were able to use our home, we were able to invest that resource for the, for the sake of facilitating spiritual conversation, for the sake of building friendships, building relationships, all for the good of spreading the gospel. So how can you do that? I mean, what, what kind of place do you live in? What, what kind of ways could you open that up? So it's someone's place to stay or it's someone's place to just relax and, and have a good time. It's someone's place to hang out. It's, it, it's a way to maybe host people for, for worship or, or study or prayer. I mean, I don't know. How can you invest these resources you've been given? A lot of us, we have vehicles. We have transportation that's, that's readily accessible. And I'll tell you, a lot of times, if you haven't lived in College Station without a vehicle, it, it's, it's hard to really picture how difficult it is to get places to do things without a vehicle. It, it's hard to do without that in our town because it's just very spread out. And so a lot of us, maybe we have those cars. How are you investing that car for God's glory? to invest in the lives of people around you. How are you doing that? Are you? Are you quick to give rides? Are you, are you quick to, to, to offer, the, to, to share that resource, to invest in those people, to have that time in the car, to, to have those conversations that might spark? I mean, we, when we were looking at this, one of our staff members, he, he was looking at the fact that, that we are surrounded by, right here at Anderson, Anderson specifically, we have a lot of international students that live nearby that, that don't have vehicles. We, we have a lot of students that live on campus that, that don't have vehicles. And so one of the things that he was thinking about is, man, how can we come together as a body and how can we invest our, our, our cars for the sake of the gospel? And so he came up with this idea of essentially creating uh, this kind of small-scale rideshare initiative that we're going to roll out fully in the fall. That, that right now we, we kind of have some pieces that are lined up. He's been doing some programming and all this data. I don't know. And so, but he's putting it together and it's great. And we would love for you to think about, man, partnering with us in that. And to start, it's, it's not this kind of grand scale, like, oh, you need to ride to Waco? Let's go. Like it's, we're starting small, like baby steps. And, and the first thing we thought was, man, what if, what if we could provide rides to people who need them just, just to church on Sunday morning? What if we could just start there? What if we could just start with this four-hour block on one day a week of, of connecting people with one another that they can share, right? That you can invest that gift, that, that vehicle that you have, you can invest it in furthering the gospel and bringing people to a place where true life is found. And so, man, if you want to be a part of that, we're, again, we're rolling it out more fully in the fall, but we're just trying to, we're working out kinks right now. We're kind of testing things out and we would love to gauge, get, an, get a gauge on how many of us would, would be a part of that, of how many of us would, would, would benefit from it or could contribute to it. And so we have uh, this email address. Uh, again, it's all kind of work in progress. Even the name is kind of work in progress. Uh, we were thinking Drive Buddy, one of our 
Marty Scott came up with the great idea of calling it Grace Cars. Think about it. Uh, he's a dad. All right, so, but we, we were thinking about, all right, so it's you know, still kind of in flux. But what is said right now is if you send an email to drivebuddy at grace-bible.org, it, you'll start getting, you can get, it doesn't matter what you say, you just say like, hey, and then you'll get these automated responses that essentially will line up and, and help us catalog and categorize, okay, who has what? Like who needs a ride or who can give a ride? It, it helps us find out, okay, where do these people live? Um, it, we can, we can kind of graph it out. We can figure out uh, genders and stuff, you know, so we can kind of make sure that you're riding with people that are what, like you. And, you know, we, we, we're trying to figure out, I mean, how do we put this all together? How do we move these puzzle pieces? If you want to join with us in that, I would love it. I would really appreciate it. Send an email to us today. Just like, hey, what's up? And again, it'll, it'll walk you through it. But we would love to get engaged on that. Again, not to necessarily roll it out right now, um, but for the fall, we're really thinking about this is a way to serve our immediate community. This is a way to invest the gifts that we've been given for the sake of the gospel. And I'll tell you, man, spiritually, not just materially, but spiritually, we've been blessed. You have, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have a testimony. In other words, you have a story that God has given you, that he has written for you about how you came to faith and what God's done through that faith. That's what a testimony is. And that's something that you should be able to invest and share with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, with your classmates. It's why we have things like baptism. It's why next Sunday we'll have our baptism Sunday right here in this room at this time. Because we want to celebrate the stories that God has written. We want to invest those testimonies, invest that spiritual blessing for the furtherment of the gospel so that people can hear what God's done. They can see what God, who God is. And it will transform. It can grab a hold of their hearts in a way that I never could just speaking and talking about things. There's power to a story, and every single one of you has one. God's given, to you, given it to you for a reason. So how are you investing it? Maybe you can use it next week. If you've not been baptized as a believer, man, text us. Send us an email. We would love to talk with you about that, of how you can use that story, invest that story, that blessing for furthering the gospel. And I'll tell you, even if you don't feel like you have this big, powerful you know, material resource or this, this, this huge, awesome spiritual resource, this, these blessings. I mean, even if all these things so far, you're like, man, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't hit me. That doesn't, that doesn't meet me where I am. I'll tell you, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've become a believer, just by your very nature of who you are, you have knowledge. You have the greatest knowledge that anyone could ever have or ever provide. You know who Jesus is, and you know what he's done. So how are you investing that? How are you investing that knowledge that you have? And, and I'll tell you, one of the easiest ways to do that is with people younger than you, people a few steps behind you, the, the youth kids that meet across the sidewalk from us, people like Ian, who, whose testimony was at the very beginning. Man, he's investing his knowledge. He's, he's, he's investing the gospel in the lives of other people. Maybe some of us, even right here right now, we, we, we just came over and we're wearing a, what shirt are you, pink today or reddish? Okay, so pink, reddish, Grace Kids shirts. And I'll tell you, there's something incredible about serving, investing the gospel in, in the lives of people, not just like two steps behind you because they're in you know, juniors in high school, but investing the, the gospel in the lives of people that are like 50 steps behind you because they're four, right? 
I have a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. And I'll tell you, through their lives, through the fact that they've been a part of, of child care here at Grace, man, they, they have benefited immensely, not just from being supervised, right? It's, you don't go into children's ministry just to like stop people from like starting fires, right? Like there's, there's an investment of the gospel that takes place. And you get to hang out with like super cute kids. I mean, come on, right? Win-win, but it's this incredible opportunity to give back, to invest this knowledge. And I'll tell you, through that, through the, through the people that have invested in my kids' lives, I am now the biggest fan of some students that are maybe even here right now. Sometimes they are at the 11 after the 915. I'm the biggest fan of, of Miss Betsy and Miss Lexi and Miss Jasmine. I mean, I am just so grateful for them. And I can't tell them that to their face all the time because it's creepy, but... I can say that from a stage and it's slightly better. <laughs> I am so grateful for the way that they've invested their lives and the gospel in the lives of my kids. Parents love people who love their kids. And you can be a part of that. That's why even just at the end of today, like we're going to have an opportunity. You can go to the back. There might be a children's rep or even if there's not, they need help. They need people to serve this summer. They've paid in unpaid positions for this summer. Where they, they need people to come in and invest, again, not just like supervision, but to invest the gospel in these young lives. So I don't know what it looks like for you. I, I don't know exactly where God's brought you from. I don't know exactly where you're headed, but I know that God's equipped us all in different ways so that we can further invest for his glory. And so to close out this morning, I actually, I've asked a student from our midst to, to actually come, a guy named Ben. He's going to come up and he's going to share uh, basically how God has done this in his life uh, this semester. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm Ben and I get to lead the Breakaway Ministries street team, which is basically the, the team that does all things marketing around campus. Hopefully you've seen people holding the giant banners on the street corners and stuff like that. They need some encouragement. If you go by and give them a high five or something, they'd appreciate that. But anyway, every year Breakaway puts on the Shalom Project, where we raised money for a different cause. And this year specifically, we raised money for, uh, for orphans and for adoptions. And we were able to raise $145,000 to give 29 families a $5,000 adoption grant, which was incredible. Um, and Street Team every year has been praying and thinking through how do we, how do we help? What is our role specifically, specifically in, that, in the Shalom Project? And last year what it was we landed on doing a pancake and worship night. And it was incredible. We made 900 pancakes and made $700, which was able to fund one Syrian refugee family. Uh, and it was ab- absolutely incredible. And we were thinking this year, how do we, how do we take the logical next, next step toward cranking this thing up, making it even better? So uh, when we were thinking through it, I heard about another one of the team leaders who was, was going to dye his hair pink if his team raised a certain amount of money. And I was like, you know, I can, I can do that too. At the time, I had an absolutely fantastic head of hair, is what I like to think. It was just really, really great. Uh, I should quit talking about that. Anyway, but, so I said, um, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to, if we can raise $2,500 with this team, you guys can shave my head. So anyway, as is evidenced by the fact that I'm standing up here buzzed, and, or my hair is, bu- uh, my hair is buzzed, right. <laughs> I'm standing up here not buzzed, my hair is buzzed. <laughs> We raised that amount of money, clearly. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> oh man, I was able to, 
it's going well. I was able to to leverage what I had been given, which was my hair, to make a kingdom impact. And I think that's something that I think Jacob is trying to get at today that we can we can all do. And we've got a little recap video to to highlight that. I mean, I, I don't know what you have. I don't know, again, where you're headed, but, but God has given us incredible blessing materially and spiritually. And, and we can invest those pieces in the gospel in, in pointing people ultimately to God himself. And so maybe it's a home. Maybe it's, maybe it's your Ben's roommate. And you're like, hey, let's use our backyard. Or maybe he didn't ask his roommates. I don't know. But like, maybe you just say, hey, Hey, let's use our home in these ways. Or, hey, let's, we, we can make pancakes. Like, let's, 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 let's move in that direction, right? And in that example, man, there were people that gave time and energy and thought and planning. And they, 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 they had conversations about it. They, they advertised it. They, they, they talked about it. And, and a lot of people, they, they gave to it. One, one of their friends said, hey, I want to take some video and freak out some girls sitting over there. You know, like, I want to I wanna take some video of this experience and, and just use it to, to praise God for what he's done. And through that, man, people gave and people contributed and people invested to change the lives of families, to change the lives of orphans, ultimately not just to change their lives, but to point them to God. So where is it that you can be a part of that investment? Let's ask the Lord to show that to us right now. God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, such an incredible calling, Lord, a, a high vision, a, a, an incredible example to follow in, in that Jesus Christ, he, he gave everything. Lord, he, he was obedient even to the point of death on the cross because he knew that it was an investment in something that mattered. It was a, it was a giving that, that produced relationship between humanity and the Father. So, Lord, we, we thank you for his giving, for his sacrifice and Lord, we thank you that it's only by that sacrifice that, that we can now stand here and sit here and, and, and be encouraged to go out and do likewise. So if you would take a moment now and just pray and ask the Lord, say, God, show me, where is it that I've been blessed? Lord, what gift have I been given that I can now give? Lord, where is it that I can be investing my time or my energy or my resources, material and spiritual, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of pointing other people towards you. So take this moment, pray, ask that God would reveal that opportunity to you right now.